Genre. everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. This week we're discussing Verdi Lambert, Waris Hussein, and William Hartnell from the television film An Adventure in Space and Time. And joining me for the discussion is returning guest, Scott Crowley. Welcome back, Scott. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm happy to be back so soon. So for anyone who is unfamiliar, An Adventure in Space and Time tells the true story of the early production of the Doctor Who TV series. It was written by Mark Gaddis and directed by Terry McDonough, and it stars Jessica Rain as Verdi Lambert, Sasha Darwin as Waris Hussein, and David Bradley as William Hartnell, and it originally aired on November 21st, 2013. Now, Scott, this is one that you had asked, and I know um, I've had a couple of listeners who have actually suggested this uh, as a potential topic for us to talk about on the podcast. And my first time watching it was this week in preparation for this podcast. So since you ha- it was one that you had recommended, do you remember when you first came to uh, to watch An Adventure in Space and Time? Uh, yeah, the night it aired. Um, I was really, uh, I was really excited about this and, you know, it was, it was 50th anniversary fever, you know, and, um, I was, I was really excited to watch this and after watching it, you know, it, it obviously, it does have a, a, uh, some, somewhat of a TV budget, but, um, you don't notice because Dr. Who was so cheap back in the day. Um, so it's, it, 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 it doesn't have to cost that much to make this. Um, that's a lovely homage I, I to do, the original series, right? To, to do indeed, it on the, yes, exactly. On the BBC. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I have found in general, um, Mark Gatiss, the, uh, the, the writer of this who has written lots of Doctor Who episodes. Um, he's always been one of my l- least favorite Doctor Who writers. So I was very trepidatious about this because I hadn't seen anything that he had written that I truly loved, um, including his episodes of Sherlock, his episodes of Doctor Who. And, and it just, I, I was, I was very trepidatious. And I just think that this is the best thing that he's ever written. And uh, I think he really knocked this out of the park. Um, and there's a lot of things that I love about it. Uh, but uh, I just I just think that this was uh, extremely well done. And I think it's fun that um, two of the actors that we're talking about today, uh, David Bradley, went on to actually play the the first doctor in a uh, uh an episode of doctor who um uh the the actual um regeneration story for um peter capaldi and uh sasha uh sasha darwin uh is playing the master currently on the show so um they've both become sort of major parts of uh doctor who mythology uh both inside and outside of uh this film oh, i did not know that so i um was kind of caught up in the American wave of popularity for Doctor Who in what, like kind of the early, like 2005 to 2010. There was a, a lot of like discovery, I think, and and passing around of Doctor Who in fandom um, for mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of American audiences who had missed. Like, I, I know there is a generation who watched reruns on PBS of, of the original series, but when the BBC did that relaunch uh, with uh, Eccleston and then um, David Tennant and then Matt Smith, I... I think that that's when a lot of american audiences discovered doctor who and so um i was watching a lot of those series at that time and it's something that 
I've kind of lost track of. Uh, so I haven't seen the Peter Capaldi run or the current run. And it's something that I keep meaning to like circle back to because I really did enjoy the Doctor Who that that I that I uh, watched, but um, I, I need to go back and revisit it. Um, but because I I kind of have a Doctor Who radar because of watching all those, I remember seeing all the news articles about this film when it was in preparation. But I just kind of like those uh, more recent seasons. I just n- had never gotten around to it till now. I really enjoyed it, and um, I was struck by and watching it. There was just such. A, a sense of love for this franchise that permeated the film. And I don't know how they managed to make you feel that <laughs> as you're watching it, but you can sense that everyone who was involved in making this and writing it and directing it and, and producing it just loved Dr. Who. Uh, and it, it somehow in telling this story, that modern fandom of Dr. Who's adoration of this series was, was a theme that seemed to be running through it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I, again, I don't know how you actually like embody that into a film that is telling a story, but but they did. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's 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 really, really well done. Um, just a few minor bits of trivia and feel free to add anything that, you know, you mentioned this was done for the 50th anniversary and looking it up. I was just kind of tickled to find that for the 30th anniversary of Doctor Who, um, they uh some people had pitched doing a dramatized history of the series especially around the creation of the show but then that got um budget axed down to just a documentary called the legend begins with lots of talking heads um discussing the the history of doctor who and then mark gatiss tried to get this very same movie made for the 40th anniversary of doctor who but was rejected because of budget reasons and then finally for the 50th anniversary they were able to get a narrative uh version of the uh early days of doctor who finally finally produced as a telefilm yeah i mean the 50th anniversary was great because the show was back on the air you know and in 2003 when mark gatiss tried to do it before there was no doctor who and so uh you know i i feel like the bbc may have said that it was budget but really it was them probably thinking like well would anyone even care about this who cares about doctor who it's been off the air since 1989 like no one cares uh and so you know 10 years later it was like uh, sort of their their biggest import at that point <laughs> Or export, I guess. Yeah, and uh, the moment was definitely different at the 50th anniversary. Like you say, like there's just so much more cultural conversation uh, around Doctor Who, and as you said, like familiarity in in areas where it had been exported to. Um, so it, it was a more natural fit to to put money behind producing this. I mean, as you noted, like not all the money, just some money behind producing uh, <laughs> this version um, of that story. And um, also in the trivia, just like real quick, like as is the case for any dramatization of real life events, like they had to remove some people who were heavily involved in the early days just for clarity of storytelling. And also, I think, um, uh, combine a couple like moments uh, again, just for um, the sake of telling a cohesive story. And, and what was this about an hour and a half? Like it was, it wasn't a long film at all. Uh, and they're covering yeah, quite. Yeah. No, I think it's, I, th- I, I think it's a flat 90 because when it aired on um, BBC America, I think it even had commercials. So uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so they're they're covering quite a bit of history and ground, and so there is definitely some condensing and simplifying and streamlining. And uh, I sometimes like I do get a little tired of like all the articles that like, well, this was historically inaccurate after any historically based film comes out, and it's like, well, they're they're still their primary goal is to tell a compelling story, and sometimes to tell a compelling story, you've got to trim some of the 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 twists and turns uh, and, and all the variables that actually exist in in real life in in these moments of history. And and also, real life is inherently boring. The way things happen in real life are inherently boring and not dramatic. And in order to make things feel a little more dramatic, and the way that we sort of, uh, you know, want these moments to be remembered uh, and and captured on film, like yeah, we gotta we gotta stretch the truth a, a little bit and and combine some things and and like you said, uh, make things. Uh, you know, clarify some things and clarify some emotions and and things like that to really um, uh, bring this together. And and I think this is a a very good example of why you would want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to give real life uh, a story structure, which. <laughs> Real life is a sprawling mess of thousands of people yes. thinking they're the protagonist <laughs> of every story that's happening. Um, and, and when you want to tell a singular story in 90 minutes, you, you really can't handle all of that. <laughs> yep, absolutely. All right. Well, before we move on to the summary listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our monthly quick cast and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So now a uh, quick summary of this film. It is 1963, and Sidney Newman is a new executive at the BBC with an empty time slot on Saturday afternoons, and he wants a sci-fi show that will teach kids real history. Nothing with bug-eyed monsters or anything like that. He wants real history through a sci-fi lens. He hires his old assistant, Verity Lambert, to be the producer of the series, and Waris Hussein is hired to be the director of the series, or at least the first several episodes of the series. The BBC is very much an old white boys club in the 1960s, so having a woman as producer and a director of Indian descent added some obstacles to the show's reception within the company. Searching for a lead actor, Verity approaches William Hartnell, an older character actor who is frustrated with having been typecast into military roles. Though he's initially reluctant to lead a kid series, he takes the role after Verity's insistence that he is perfect for it. While the series is greenlit, production is rough. Uh, Production designers give half-hearted effort because it's just a kid's show, and when the set is finally built, the TARDIS's doors won't stay closed while they're filming, sprinklers go off mid-filming, the doctor seems too mean so they don't, they don't even feel like they're getting the character right besides all the technical stuff that's going on. Uh, when Newman sees the first episode, he thinks there's something there, but it just isn't ready. And he orders the entire episode reshot after some rewrites, uh, so some rewrites that are going to make the Doctor a bit less menacing and standoffish. More scripts are prepared, but Newman is very upset when the Doctor is going to be battling robot villains called the Daleks. He rejects the script, but Verity insists the story has real thematic substance about war and isolationism, and she insists this one has to be filmed. The first episode of the series airs the same day that John F. Kennedy is assassinated, and news reports completely overshadow the premiere of this show. Verity argues that the pilot should be re-aired before the second episode uh, is shown the following week, and the network concedes. 
After a few weeks of airing, Verity sees kids pretending to be Daleks and realizes the show is becoming popular. Hartnell is approached at a park by children who want his autograph. And when some of the cast talk about um, later on, when some of the cast talk about purchases that they plan on making, Hartnell warns them that acting is a cruel business and they don't know how long they're going to have these jobs. Worried that he was too harsh, he sends his co-stars flowers the next day. When Hartnell merchandise uh, or when Doctor Who merchandise with uh, Hartnell's appearance becomes popular, uh, he finally feels a little bit more job security. After all, you can't have Doctor Who without Doctor Who. As the series progresses, some of the original cast leave, and soon Hussein leaves uh, to take on some film work. Hartnell is struggling to remember his lines and to remember the names of the new cast around him. Uh, Hartnell's wife approaches Verity, revealing that his health is making it hard for him to rehearse and memorize his lines. Verity says she's going to have to pass that information on to her successor because she is going to be leaving the production soon, too. With a new cast and crew around him and his health failing, Hartnell becomes harder and harder to work with. Eventually, Newman calls him in and reveals that they plan to replace him with another actor by having the doctor regenerate into a new body. Devastated, Hartnell returns home and breaks down in tears. On his last day of filming, Hartnell gives his farewell monologue on the bridge of the TARDIS as the actor taking over the role watches from the set. Looking around the set, he's come to love. Hartnell sees Matt Smith as the doctor taking control of the TARDIS. The end. In reading that summary, I, I'm amazed with how many different emotional beats are pulled off in this story that is, on the one hand, triumphant, and the story of like creative people standing up for their vision, and almost out of nothing, creating a franchise that ran for decades on the BBC, and, and as we know with Matt Smith standing there in the last shot, or in the, near the last shot, is is you know has been revived and has found new popularity in doing this but also there's some overwhelming sadness that really you feel throughout this as well yeah i i think the thing that i'm most impressed with uh you know in in regards to the storytelling in this is that the film very much begins with verity lambert being the protagonist of the film uh, and there's there's really no question that she's the protagonist. Like everything is sort of focused around her and her story and her goals and her wants. And then about halfway through the story, as she's leaving to be producer, you start to feel the transition from her to Hartnell being the lead character suddenly. Now he's the protagonist and he ends the film being the protagonist. I think the last time we hear from Verity, it's something like 30 minutes before the end of the movie or something like that. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, uh, you know, far away from the end considering she started off as being the protagonist of the film. And that shouldn't work, and yet it does. And I love it as a metatextual choice because this is, the 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 entire story is about sort of uh, uh, creating something that outlives you and allowing other people to, uh, 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 you know, take control of that thing. And so here you have a protagonist who relinquishes control of the film that they're starring in to another character. And then that character's story arc is about relinquishing control of the, the character that they're playing to a different actor. It's, I, I just think it's incredibly well done and uh, really does a great job of um, sort of recreating the feeling that you get as a Doctor Who fan. And I, I'm like a lifelong Doctor Who fan. Uh, recreating that feeling you get every time a doctor regenerates and you mm -hmm. get a new doctor. It's that trepidation of this new actor 
and it's but it's also this in like in this intense sadness of losing the actor that you've fallen in love with and also the excitement of what this new thing could be and it creates all of those things and basically comes up with the thesis statement of like that's doctor who like doctor who is all of these things and if you are a real doctor who fan you accept all of those things and those that 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 sort of bittersweet quality is what makes doctor who so successful creatively and why it's lasted for as long as it has right the the fact that because hartnell let go of that role and and filmed that scene. He could have very easily pulled a Colin Baker and said, no, you know, screw you guys. I'm not <laughs> filming this death scene. You're just going to have to make up. Uh, uh, you're just going to have to like pretend like I never existed. Take that. Uh, and and made them create a scenario where Patrick Troughton took over the role. Instead, he filmed that scene where he regenerates into Patrick Troughton. He hands that role to Patrick Troughton. And because of that, as a direct result of that, we have Matt Smith and then Peter Capaldi. And now, you know, we it just it just keeps going forever and it may as well go on forever. And that's kind of incredible. And it's it's a it's a, an amazing character arc, I think, that they pulled off both metatextually and within the film itself. Yeah, I I'm not nearly as well versed in the history of Doctor Who. I've never seen any of the the pre modern Doctor Who stuff, but I very much remember you know Eccleston to David Tennant. It's like, well, I really liked Eccleston, and then it's like, okay, well, fine, David Tennant is now my Doctor. That's that's my favorite. And then you find out he's leaving, and it's like, oh, there's gonna be someone new. It's just not gonna be as magical. And then like one monologue about fish fingers later, it's like, oh, okay, Matt Smith is now my Doctor. I understand. <laughs> you know, and I'm excited to see <laughs> right. what, what, what what's gonna happen now. But there's always like you said, there's this dread and this sadness and this loss um but then you you know you you also get hope and um and and you see the value of change right because because again becomes stale uh to to keep uh running the same thing back uh back again and doctor who as a franchise is this fascinating example of finding ways to uh to address that that become core to the story and not like and uh, you know, a story hand waviness of like, okay, well, we've got to do this thing. So we're just going to wave our story. It's, it's like you said, it becomes a theme of uh, a metatextual theme of the, of the whole series. And, and one that very much gets developed in, in this film about the idea of transition and, um, uh, and allowing others to, to pick up the baton, right. You know, and hand it off and allow someone else to take over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, I don't think it was right until I was writing the summary that it stood out to me just how much the, the plot does that twist that you mentioned where uh, like, like when I was prepping this script in this doc, I said, well, we're gonna be talking about Verity. She's the protagonist. And that sort of thing. I'm like, well, or, or was it, <laughs> you know, was it, was it Hartnell? Uh, because <laughs> at, at the beginning of the film, it, it is so clearly that, you know, this is her, her game and, and her wingman or her wingman is going to be uh, where's Hussein, who's going to be um, the only one who like is in her corner in this world of the BBC where everyone else is um, trying to tear her down. Or I, I guess not everyone because um, Newman is like, trying to help but he's also the voice of this is your last chance uh to, to get it right um it, but it does the, like the finale like in writing the summary of like the, the end of the film is like oh well this is a story about hartnell and and his role um and in watching it i don't feel that it's disjointed or that there's um a, you, you know like a, a tonal shift or anything it's just the natural 
uh, it feels like a natural evolution of the story. So it is very uh, deft script work to be able to make it. You, you almost not realize that you've changed protagonist uh, in, in a single film. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea of that is just so crazy to me. I mean, it's why I, you know, I rewatched this um, a few months ago when I first reached out to you and you and said, you know, if you ever wanted to have me on again, at some point, I would love to do an adventure of space in space and time. And the reason for it was because I was just blown away by the fact that this movie has two distinct protagonists and not simultaneously. They transition from one to the other. And I just thought that was a crazy thing to do. And for, you know, a podcast uh, uh, strictly about protagonists, um, it seems to me that this this was a, a can't miss for this podcast. Yeah. And um, like the the opening moments with Verity just feel so much of like, okay, this, this we're, we're being told uh, what her place, like she's being told her place in the world. And these are the obstacles that she's not gonna be able to overcome. And, and like, we know the triumph of Dr. Who, like we know this, this is going to become one of the, the longest running shows in television history. You know, like that, that is the end of this. Like, that's not a surprise um, for anyone who goes in watching this. Like you, you already know that this is going to be a triumph. Um, and and so when you see her in her position, it's kind of like, oh, okay, uh, maybe I didn't know this history behind Doctor Who, but I know where she's going to land and, and that this is all going to work out for her. And then you get to that like final monologue that is just so um, kind of heartbreaking um, from Hartnell as, as as you've seen him uh, like transition from uh, you know this character actor who becomes a beloved figure and is at the the center of this pop culture phenomenon in Britain uh, to to like. Uh, he, he almost becomes doddering in, in his inability to memorize lines. And, and I, I saw some of the, um, like the, the version I saw had a little like 15 minute thing at the end, tagged on at the end that had um, some, some people talking about their experience of making it. And they, they talked about how they, they did bring him back in a later doctor who, because with time travel, you can always do that. And they had to like hold up giant signs with his script because he just was incapable of memorizing things because his health had deteriorated uh, so far. Um, it's, it's just uh, like like you said, it's so well done to give you both those protagonists, but also both those that that sense of triumph and inevitability, but also this kind of sadness and tragedy uh, in in it. But then to also like not make you lament too much because, you know, that in the the tragedy that Hartnell, the personal tragedy that Hartnell is feeling and having to step away from this, it, it is what is going to invigorate this this franchise and make it as beloved as it is now. Because there's, I mean, there's so many TV shows that make it to air that, you know, 10, 20, much less 50 years on, people literally don't remember that they existed. <laughs> like there's no impact uh, on pop culture. And Doctor Who is not right. one of those. Doctor Who is is the stunning example of, uh, the, you know, the long going and ongoing creativity uh, in popular entertainment. Right, exactly. Uh, it's it's uh, really just an incredible, incredibly well done um biopic i mean that's i mean that's essentially what it is right and uh i i just think it's it's really well done in that um it's not it's not attempting to like you know do some like gritty journalism you know in a lot of ways it's it's almost a fairy tale but uh it it it's just so entertaining and so heartfelt and so earnest that you kind of can't help but be on its side you know, um, I think mm-hmm. that there are a lot of people who do criticize it for 
you know, not going further um, in its uh, dramatization of everything and not really like getting getting into the weeds of of uh, the show. But I, I, you know, that's not the point of a movie. That's not the point of storytelling. You know, you need to you need to tell a story that's focused and choosing to focus on, uh, you know, creating something bigger than what happens when everyone works really hard to create something and the thing becomes greater than anyone involved. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what does that feel like? Um, and you know, to a certain extent it's, it's this bittersweet tragedy because yeah, you, you've created something, you, you are successful. I mean, Verity Lambert leaves this, this film, to go and start a career as a, as a, as a television uh, producer and, and goes on to do that well into the eighties, I believe. And, um, you know, she worked for a very long time and, and it was all because of the success of this series. But in order to step into that, she had to leave this series. And if she hadn't left this series, this, she might have ended the series instead of letting it go on forever. You know, and and so, it you know all of the choices that these characters make all lead us to having Doctor Who on television currently, and it being, you know, largely you know largely the same show that it's always been. You know, it's all it's yeah. all been one show. It has a big break in the middle, but it was all one show, and and that only happens because Verity Lambert takes another job and lets Doctor Who survive without her. Yeah, and one thing that I, I, in thinking about this film and, and how it works, um, I'm kind of interested in what your thoughts are on like how audience expectation and reception of this is different. Um, like for someone who's not a Doctor Who fan who was just shown this, like I, I think their reaction would be very different than someone who knows some Doctor Who because there's some moments in the film where uh, there's things are said that as a Doctor Who fan who knows what's coming, who knows the nature of Doctor Who to be an alien who regenerates into younger bodies and other things where like you can give a, a little like I'm in the know and I'm going to laugh at this line because that's clearly what they want where um, like when uh, Hartnell says, well, you can't make Doctor Who without the Doctor. So I have actual career security now. And like as an audience, you can kind of <laughs> chuckle and think, well, <laughs> that's that's what you think right now. Uh, <laughs> but then that same moment is going to be, you know, sad tragedy when he's replaced at the end. Like like you laugh along early on, uh, but then it, it becomes um, something with real emotional heft to it uh, in, in the finale. Um, but for an audience that doesn't know Dr. Who, which I, I mean, I, this was very much made for fans of Dr. Who. It was not expected that this would become like a gateway into Dr. Who fandom. Uh, like it, it is clearly being presented for people who share some of the fondness uh, for the franchise. And the expectation is that you'd be in on those jokes that come early on. Um, but the, the, how much then is the audience reception of this going to be built on an already expected or existent fondness for Doctor Who and how much of it is uh, receiving this as just a good film in and of itself? What do you think? Well, I think that um, it's interesting because when I watched it a few months ago, I was watching it with uh, with with someone who had never watched Doctor Who because we were working okay. on a project together, and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we we're, were working on a project together, and we we I, I I realized that this was my main frame of reference for the for the project that we were working on, and so I was like I was like, look, I know you don't know anything about Doctor Who. We should watch this. 
<laughs> let's because this is the, I think this is a really good frame of reference and we watched it and he still got a lot out of it because he liked the characters mm-hmm. and he doesn't know anything about Doctor Who like at all he knows that it's been it's a show that's been around forever uh, and that's kind of it that's all he knows um, and that multiple actors yeah. play the main character that's kind of all he knew and so you know going in knowing just that he he enjoyed it I don't think he loved it at the level that I do, but I think he really enjoyed it and appreciated the story for what it is. Um, and the way that it was, it was, uh, you know, focused around a theme and and all of that, um, just structurally, I think he appreciated it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how just like someone who isn't a writer and isn't like, can't, can't see the, 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 uh, I don't know the the skeleton here and can't can't see the parts um and are just watching a movie. I don't know how they would enjoy it. That I don't know. I can't answer that. But um it'll be it would be interesting to see cuz I I don't know, but I don't think they they're certainly not the target audience for this. Yeah, cuz even some aspects of like Doctor Who mythology, they just get referenced without explanation like even to the point where like the the final act is really about Hartnell regenerating into the younger body. And it, I, I was just expecting a monologue at some point about like, this is your alien physiology. This is what happens to you and how you transition from this for physical form to another physical form. And it's, it, it doesn't do that. It just kind of, I think it assumes the audience is going to know about the doctor's regeneration, which again, like that was the target audience is someone who would already know that. So it, it, it right. for that audience, it would feel redundant to include some of that information. Yeah, I think if this was a theatrically released film, which can you imagine? Um, if this were a theatrically uh, released film, I think there would be a lot more exposition in this because it would be sort of like if you made a Stan Lee biopic, right? And people know Stan Lee, but they might not know everything there is to know about Marvel Universe or – I mean or there's, the so, there's still some people works, who th- – right? Exactly. There, there's still some people who think that Stan Lee is an artist. They don't know. Um, like they yeah. have no idea. They just like, oh yeah, that's the guy that created the Marvel universe. And it's like, well, it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, and and so if you were to do a biopic about that, you would have to explain all of those things. And I think that with this, they knew that they were making it for a relatively small target audience and that they could probably talk in shorthand for a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there definitely is a lot of, well, like everyone already knows this about the Doctor Who. Like we're not even, uh, I, I think they even hinted at the uh, it's bigger on the inside line, but never actually bothered to even say it fully, right? <laughs> for, <laughs> right. For, for the TARDIS. <laughs> uh, they yeah. just give other versions of it that you're like, oh, you're you're almost there, but you're not quite there yet. <laughs> oh, speaking of a Stanley <laughs> uh, biopic, how inevitable is it that we're going to get one of those in the next 10 years? Uh, Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> definitely inevitable. And uh, it will be picked apart in much the way I imagine hardcore Doctor Who fans pick apart uh, aspects of this. And, and it's uh, it's uh, kind of paintbrushing of history for the simplicity of, of telling a story. Uh, the same thing will happen to a Stanley biopic, I'm sure. Probably even more so, because there are there are Marvel <laughs> fans who really hate that guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there's also the defenders who who would would be offended when you know, anything that they feel is sliding his legacy is included. Yep, absolutely. So that's that'll be a tricky one to get right for sure. Yeah. Um, another thought I had in watching this is that um, again, like the I don't know why, but for some some reason, the idea of audience reception. And and like prior knowledge was really with me as I was watching this. Like we know Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Who is a huge success. We know 
it goes forever. Um, but how many other TV shows could they make uh, this kind of like historical reenactment of the creation of this TV show and uh, like all the effort that goes in and all the love and care and, and hours and hours and hours of hard work. And, and then in the end is like, oh, by the way, no, no one remembers this show that, that, that it ever happened. Um, like the, I think the sense of the inevitability of the, the triumph of this is, is part of uh, the story that's being told is like, we as an audience already know this, but there's so many creative endeavors that people pour their heart and soul into that just never find their audience for any number of reasons. Like there are, there are really great works of art that just never become part of the zeitgeist and the amount of variables that exist uh, in, in something becoming hugely popular or just being forgotten are, are unfathomable to try and like calculate um, how, how much there is between, uh, you know, and a, a slightly, you know, red book series for, Versus like a Harry Potter phenomenon uh, that that suddenly is 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 everywhere and is unavoidable. Um, and, and I something about the yeah. this behind the scenes storytelling of a television production where there's always on any TV show dozens and dozens of people that want to see it to succeed and how rare it is to to capture that lightning in a bottle uh, is something that fascinates me. Yeah, I mean, you know, Firefly is like a really good example of that. Um, I I fully expect there one day to be a uh, a movie about Firefly, like as a as a thing, as a project, because it it does have like kind of a perfect three act structure, the story of Firefly, um, and you know that's that's one that like it was a total failure, right? And yeah, maybe the network was screwing it over, but it 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 did very very poorly in the ratings and uh you know kind of fell on its face and then somehow they made a movie that was able to tie everything up and then that also failed so it was like you know that's like a a really good example of of a thing that um you know lots of people worked really hard on and even though there are some people who do remember it it was to call it popular would be uh an overstatement of, of of facts for sure Right, like the um, the depth of the fandom around it is probably more famous than uh, any character from the show, right? <laughs> like like yes, the story of the fandom that absolutely. wants this to succeed so desperately, uh, but but it's just not finding the larger audience. More people are probably aware of that than they you know could rattle off Jane or you know or Wash or you know any of the characters that are actually in in the show itself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are the the that brown coat show, right? Yeah, I've never watched that, but <laughs> that I know they're called brown coats, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in uh trying to go back for the writer and, and trying like recapture this, um, I I think there would have been uh really tempting ways to to maybe over dramatize the things that had to be overcome. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, the paltry budget of BBC, BBC kids shows at the time, or uh, the, you know, the reality of, you know, a, a news deafening, uh, you know, an overwhelming presidential assassination that just becomes the only thing anyone talks about that this, the day your show premieres. Um, you know, like that, there, is, there are definitely- that, that fact that fact is the craziest thing I think about the history of Doctor Who. The fact that it premiered like anything, literally any time I watch anything where it's like it, there, there's like a, you know, it takes place in the 60s and there's a big reveal that the assassination of JFK gets shot. I just say to myself quietly, Doctor Who premiered that day. Like, <laughs> like I just I can't I can't help it because it's such a weird fact. And it happens in this and literally um, – 
the person that I was talking about earlier who didn't know anything about Doctor Who, when that happened, he turned to me with this look on his face like, yeah, right. Did they make this up? And I was like, no, that's 100% true. That actually happened. And it's insane. Yeah, uh, I, I was gonna say like the BBC could definitely be villains because, uh, particularly when it's still Verity's story that's being told, like you know the the, the woman that has to overcome the old boys' club, uh, like that is a story that you could really get behind. And then these obstacles of like they're given the cheapest studio to film in, but guess what? All the BBC studios were pretty cheap. If you've ever seen a like pre nineties BBC production, <laughs> let's just say set, uh, <laughs> yeah. the money was not going into sets <laughs> um, on a yeah. lot of these. Uh, but, but the, the, the fact is like so much of this is the real history of, of Dr. Who. Um, and it's just so unlikely that this became a beloved multi-generational franchise, uh, that it's a story worth telling. Absolutely. Um, but uh, how tempting do you think it is if it, it, when knowing that you've got to reshape a little bit of real history to tell a cohesive story, how, how tempting do you think as a writer it is to, to like maybe up the, the stakes of some of those moments? Oh, I, I it must be, right? It must be. But I think that the choice to just make it a never-ending uphill battle, I think, was the right choice because it makes it feel a little more relentless. Not so much that there there weren't like there was no moment in this where you're just like, wow, this is never gonna happen. Uh I mean the bad pilot is is definitely um probably the 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 height of that. Um right. but in general, I think there was never a moment where you're you're really like, okay, this is really not going to happen. It's really just trying to show this was a very much a nonstop uphill battle. And then when it starts happening, it feel it, it's almost like a surprise where you're like, oh, it's it's happening. It's becoming <laughs> Doctor Who, and people like it. And like you're as surprised as everyone else in the movie. Like all the characters are surprised <laughs> as well. And it's it, it it just feels like a relief. Like oh, okay, this is great. And then you get to transition from that uphill battle to uh, what what Hartnell's going through. But I I think. You know, just doing that sort of exhaustive uphill battle is uh, prob- was probably the best choice that the movie made. I think. Yeah, and and thinking about the structure, um, I think Verity's story is um, largely concluded when she sees kids playing as Daleks on the bus. Right, like that's her yeah. apex moment of we did it. We we made something that is uh, not just on the air, but that is penetrating culture. And and not only that, but that that was the the choice that she fought for. So like this whole time, she's just been trying to execute the vision of of uh, of Sydney, and you know that was what, her whole thing. And one of his rules was no bug eyed monsters. And she was like, no, we're gonna have these bug eyed monsters because I believe in this. I believe in these characters, and we're gonna do it. And he was like, fine. You seem to really be upset about this, so I'm gonna let you. Uh, you know, it's your funeral, whatever. And then she, it happens, and she sees those kids playing as Daleks, and it's like in that moment she realizes that she's become what she was trying to be, which is a real producer. She proved herself like her thing. Not, it wasn't her idea, but it was the, the thing that she pushed to make happen. The thing that Sydney Newman said specifically will never happen on this show. And she pushed for it. She put her job on the line. It was worth it. And she has a career because of it. And I think you're exactly right. That is the end of her story arc is right there. And, th- and that's when we now enter 
Hartnell's storyline. And uh, how do you think they managed to pull the trick of ending the story on his like literal physical degradation to the point where he just can't carry on this character and uh and him stepping down and yet still like not have this feel like a tragedy uh what how how are they threading that needle do you think i i i don't know i mean it's from what's really interesting is it's from the very beginning right because Again, one of the things that I think is really is really interesting that they did with with this structurally is like, yes, Verity Lambert is the obvious protagonist for the first half. But the thing that you forget and you probably have forgotten because you you have only seen it once. The movie mm-hmm. starts with a scene with William Hartnell and, and him and his sitting. Right. No, no, no. He's sitting in his car staring at a police box a police officer comes out and taps on the window and tells him it's time to move along you're right i'd forgotten about that entirely (laughs) yes right so like right from go they're telling you this is what the movie is going to be about we're we're like we're we're calling our shot like the whole movie is going to be about the struggles of moving on and moving along and moving forward and and realizing that it's time to move on, right? And so you have Verity Lambert's story and it ultimately ends up being, oh, like I did it. I can move on. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a successful producer. I, I have a successful show on the air. I can move on and do something else that isn't a kid's show necessarily. And, and, then you, and then you transition into William Hartnell who is just not letting go. He just won't let mm-hmm. go because he all he wanted was to get out of these military roles. And he finally did it. And he has the success that he always wanted in a role that he really enjoys. And he doesn't want to let it go until he's sort of forced out. But he is willing to transition into the next guy because, you know, William Hartnell's a gentleman. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's uh, it, it's just it's so deftly done that that theme is really stated in the very first scene. I think it might even be the very first line of dialogue. Well, and uh, in terms of how it still feels uh, like, like uh, good, like, 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 uh, like you're happy, even, even as you're seeing all the sadness around it. I think the show itself becomes a protagonist that, you know, the sadness for Hartnell is actually going to allow this thing, you know, to, to carry on. Like this is right right for, the the show that it you know this fans of this this franchise are watching this movie you know that this choice while sad for him that he was at this point in his life is what allowed doctor who to become doctor who uh and right uh and and you you see um the actor who's immediately taken but then that that shot over to matt smith as i think one other thing that also makes it more triumphant at the end that you know this is 2013 mm-hmm. and we're still making doctor who because of this moment that we're recreating uh, as the finale of this film. Uh, I, I maybe without Matt Smith, it just feels so different at, at the end and, and you yeah. lose some of the, 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 um, the, the, the sense of accomplishment. Right. Which is also why it's important that this is being watched by uh, someone who is, you know, familiar with the show. Um, oh, I yeah. think cause that, that moment, <laughs> that moment is totally meaningless to anyone who's never heard of Dr. Who before well, not or never watched but, it before. But, but, uh, it disrupts everything. If you don't know, <laughs> Matt Smith is currently playing Dr. Who when right, this is being yeah. made. It's, yeah. Like it's it, completely it bizarre. It would be completely bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, what is happening? Yeah, exactly. Is this a hallucination of Hartnell? What, what is going on? <laughs> 
<laughs> Who is this? <laughs> yeah, I guess you really do um, have to yeah, have no. some, some outside context. <laughs> Abs- absolutely. And I think that I think that um the the metatextual thing that's also going on here is that largely speaking, this is also um a, a, a movie that is trying to show those fans like you, like yourself, and others like you who discovered the show with Eccleston or with Tennant or with Matt Smith, that there was a history here and teaching them to appreciate it in a way of like, I know you don't care about the, about these like old fogies who used to do this show in the sixties, but it's important that you know about them because they're the reason that all of this exists. And, uh, William Hartnell, I think more than any other actor who played the doctor, yes, even Tom Baker, who, you know, popularized the show in the 70s, um, especially in America. But I think that more so than anyone else, it's he he was sort of like forgotten and he's the most important one. He's the first one, you know, but he's no one's favorite doctor. Like no one's favorite doctor is William Hartnell. At least, you know, I've never met anyone and somebody listening to this might say, oh, well, that's where you're wrong, bucko. Um, but uh, but as far as I know, I've never met anyone who has said their favorite doctor is William Hartnell. I would honestly be impressed if the, that that person existed. But um, you know, it's it's the fact that like William Hartnell is more than any other doctor the one that is the most forgotten yet the most important. And it this movie was sort of a love letter to this era and to him to say like without him none of this happens. Without him agreeing to step aside and and doing this regeneration thing, none of this happens. You know, it there's a weird non-transition where one episode is William Hartnell and the next episode it's Patrick Troughton and there's no explanation and no sense is made of it and people lose interest and they stop watching the show and it's canceled in 1969 you know mm-hmm. and it's 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 amazing that he sort of his his decisions you know, created in a way created the show that we all know now. And I think that a lot of people, especially in 2013, didn't know that. And they just knew the show starting with Eccleston. And, and they, they, I think that for the 50th anniversary, Gatiss wanted to make something that was accessible to people who only watched the new show but could lay a groundwork for appreciation of the classic series. And I think that it does it very well. One thing that we see Hartnell do specifically that really resonated for me uh, was his insistence that I need to know which controls open the door and which control, like I need to be consistent in the controls because kids are watching this and everyone else is dismissive of the kids shows. And he says, kids are going to notice that. Like, that's what kids are going to care about is mm-hmm. like, like, what button do I press to make this happen? And there's a moment where he flubs a line and he says gloves and then corrects it to guns. And because this was, you know, the, the production was so quick and cheap back in the day, uh, like it made it to air that he flubbed the line. And his granddaughter uh, like fills mm-hmm. in a blank and like does like the Marvel no prize thing of an explaining away this mistake as like a bit of mythology building. Like, oh, you said gloves because gloves are like really important for how you can deal with these aliens. And we're probably going to see that in a future episode. Right. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but that's what like yeah. kids have an ability to become obsessed 
with the minutia of a fandom that adults don't have time for. And so for him to focus uh, and, and respect the kids uh, that would be watching as the audience, instead of what we see from so many other BBC characters, like, well, it's a kid's show. Who cares? Like, I'm going to spend 10 seconds on this and this is what you get. Cause it's just for kids. Um, I, I think right. that is uh, a really important aspect of like the foundation of Dr. Who. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's the thing is like back then, I mean, nobody thought anyone would ever rewatch any of this. Uh, you know, they, that's why there's so many original episodes, right? Right, right. Exactly. Cause they just taped over them because they were like, (laughs) I mean, what does it matter? Right. No, no one's ever going to rewatch this. So let's just use the tape again. Uh, and, and so they would, and it was, it was crazy. And so we don't have Dr. Who episodes. There's certain ones that don't exist. Like I, I, I think it's like over 200 or just under 200 it's somewhere close to 200 episodes that just do not exist and it's because they just literally taped over them and there were no copies and because they they thought so little of the show they were like i mean no one's ever going to want to watch this again we're going to play it once it's going to air one time and that'll be that done (laughs) because they they just didn't they had no respect for this show that it was just a kid show to them and uh and that was that was that and it was it's so interesting seeing that sort of attitude permeate this film with a lot of the 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 uh, characters playing crew members um like i love the scene of the of the guy that she's just the art director that she's just begging to create the interior of the tardis so they can freaking build it and shoot it <laughs> and and he's just like oh my god fine and he just puts up three three like little uh little uh, uh sheets of uh punch out paper punches out a few holes in the punch out paper puts like a like a uh uh it was like a thread like a, a thing of thread like a uh, a wheel of yeah, thread like a little spool, that, right yeah, yeah a spool of thread in the middle and he's just like there there's your tardis you got it and, she, and it was like yeah that's he made the tardis like that's the tardis and he could he could he couldn't possibly care less um and he created maybe one of the most iconic things about the show in like five seconds <laughs> i mean is that really how it happened probably not but it it recreates a general feeling of that era of these guys who were just doing a job like they didn't they didn't have like any i don't want to say artistic integrity but like they were just working on a kid show like yeah they probably had artistic integrity for a lot of things that they cared about but they didn't care about this they're just doing a job and and so yeah, it's, i think she uh, lists some of the stuff that amazing. she knows he's put his whole effort into like like okay yeah. i know you've worked really hard on the set designs for these other things and this one's just a kid show but i need something to take to my to my builders <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's amazing i love that scene yeah it, it is a good memorable scene and uh circling back to something that you said i love uh, or thinking about and trying to figure out the the narrative and creative dna of these long running intellectual properties that have become never ending stories in a way that no previous era of you know has had like the the romantic idea of the author who just you know pounds away and, and is singularly creating a story is is on the one hand a lie but also like so much more true than the way stories are told now with uh these massive corporations that own properties that are just going to go and go and go and so like you see any modern 
comic book and try and think of how many voices have actually led to this moment. Yes. There's the people whose credits are in there right now as the writer, the artist, the editor, and the inker. Like we know who's doing this one issue, but how many narrative choices and, and moments are, are being intertwined now to say, this is the version of Spider-Man that's going to exist. But like you look back, how many voices actually led to that? And now with, with so many films and long running TV shows where the, these stories are literally as far as we can see right now, never going to end because it's too profitable for these companies and these new voices come in and yes, they're putting their own spin on a James Bond or their own spin on a doctor who, but they're still picking up these ideas that are existing uh, and that are filtering through literally decades of storytelling at this point. Yep. Absolutely. I, I, I think that's uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's uh that's amazing. I, I love that. I love watching stories about this. It's I'm kind of a sucker for biopics in general. Um, and I know that a lot of people like it, 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 they feel like sort of like nails on a chalkboard to some people, but for whatever reason, they just, I, I, I really, uh, I really enjoy them. And it's for all the reasons that you just said. Well, and this one is like going back and saying, here is like the literal foundation of Doctor Who uh, and mm-hmm. uh, reminding audiences that that, yes, at this point, if you're watching, um, you know, the, the, the ones that are being produced in now in 2020, uh, you know, who's making these. But it, it has a history and a legacy that goes back so much farther uh, and, and so much farther than uh, the ones that we've likely seen. And I know there are deliberate choices to like call back to some of these early episodes, the ones that we, we know still exist and, and still, still have and, and pick up uh, threads and do it in a way that the story can stand alone now, but is, is playing with uh, a sandbox that like goes back so far. It, it's really fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Do you have any final thoughts, Scott? No, uh, I just uh, hope that if you are a Doctor Who fan and you've never seen this, uh, seek it out and give it a watch because I think it's it's a it's a fun watch just in general. Um, and it's just it's just and I don't know it'll make your heart feel good. It just it just makes my <laughs> I watch this. It's like a feel good movie, even though it has that bittersweet ending. It just it just feels good. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a creator myself that I get a lot of uh, warm and fuzzy feelings from from you know <laughs> a story about people creating something as massive as Doctor Who. But um, I uh, I just I love this this film. I think it's really really incredible. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad uh, that that we are covering it so that I, I, you know, made myself sit down and watch it. I was like, oh, well, that was good. <laughs> I just just enjoyed it. I do it. I'd, I'd watch it again, you know, without having to record a podcast episode about it for sure. All right. That is <laughs> the highest of all compliments. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you, listeners, for downloading. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. Uh, you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod and at jdorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Dizminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Now, Scott, I know you have uh, so many projects that you're working on. Is there anything you would like to plug right now? I think the most relevant thing is to uh, listen to The Doctor's Companion, which is my Doctor Who podcast that I do with my uh, my co-hosts, uh, Nick Jimenez, and past guest of this show, Cassandra Fredrickson. 
Um, we talk about uh, Doctor Who, uh, every Doctor Who story, uh, or every story from every Doctor, one Doctor at a time. So um, we have seasons of the show where we we basically talk about like the first story of every Doctor, and then the second story of every Doctor, and then the third story of every Doctor. And it's a good way of sort of popcorning around and being able to talk about each Doctor, um, but also be able being able to sort of um, focus on the overarching story that is being told during each individual Doctor's era. Uh, and uh, we are actually getting dangerously close to wrapping up our first Doctor, um, which will be uh, uh, the Sixth Doctor's <laughs> era. Um, he he wraps up, I think, uh, after I think we only have a few more seasons with him and then he's uh, he's done and we, we retire him and then we move on. Um, so it'll be uh, there's a lot to listen to. And uh, we it does include each episode includes recaps. So uh, if you don't watch Classic Who or you've never watched Classic Who, um, you can still listen to this. Get your Classic Who experience from us in case you don't have time to watch all those Classic Who stories. Um, you can still uh, learn to appreciate them through us and our uh, sense of humor. <laughs> have, you, have you had to dodge any missing Classic Who episodes so far? Oh yeah, tons. Um, there are things called uh, reconstructions that uh, people build. Um, sometimes they uh, animate episodes, and uh, these reconstructions are this this thing where uh, back in the '60s, when things would air on TV, they would set up a camera that would take telesnaps of a TV monitor so that um, it was a way of them checking that if something went wrong, they would be able to backtrack and find out where it went wrong. And it would take a picture like every 15 seconds. And so people have used those images that are photographs of a TV screen <laughs> and use those to recreate the episodes uh, with um, uh, the audio of the episode and then using the the still images as, as uh, images for the episode. And uh, they are um, not a fun watch, uh, surprisingly. Um, not not a fun watch, but uh, at least at least it's a way to experience the story. You do what you have to do to get a podcast out, right? Uh, absolutely. Well, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Verdi Lambert. Oh, I've already forgotten. Scott, how, how do we we're going to pronounce Weris? Is that it? Weris? Yeah. Weris. Okay, I'm going to go back and give a fresh read on that. <laughs> okay. I panicked as soon as I was getting to the W. <laughs> <laughs>